Greetings, uh, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel, uh, here in northern New South Wales. This ministry has been prepared for the 24th of October 2021. Uh, my name's Adam and welcome. It's great that we can share this time of ministry together. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 105. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Let me pray. Almighty and ever-living God, strengthen our faith, we pray. Strengthen our hope and strengthen our love. May we do with loving hearts what you ask of us and enter more fully into the life you promise. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
Uh, the ministry of God's word today comes from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 to 22, Psalm 97, uh, and Romans chapter 12, verse 14, right through to chapter 13, verse 7. Please take a moment to read that out loud, wherever you are whomever you're with, particularly Romans chapter 12, verse 14, through to chapter 13, verse 7. Let's pray. Our loving Father, speak to our hearts by your Spirit, through your Word, that we might truly and properly worship you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we considered how things roll within the body of believers, Christ's church. We might then ask, but what about those outside? How are we supposed to get on with the world? How are we supposed to get on with other institutions, especially think of the government? How are we to get on with those who don't look at the world the same way we do? Maybe those with whom we disagree with. Uh, they object to what we believe. How is it supposed to work for us? What to do? Well, verse 14 is instructive. It's very plain. And this section of Romans really is. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. <laughs> now, how do we do that? How do you bless those who persecute us? Maybe verse 15 is the answer. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, why else would you need to say that? Uh, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And so as we read verse 14 and 15 and a bit of 16, well, was the opposite true? Were believers rejoicing over the demise of their enemies? Is this why they need to be told? No, you rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. And then we might react and go, well, when would that ever happen? Because Paul would say, to do such things... To rejoice over the demise of our enemies, that would be arrogant. That would be proud. That would be conceited. That, that's verse 16. Do not be conceited. Verse 17 sounds like it comes out of Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. Don't repay evil for evil. Uh, verse 18 gets a run all, uh, at the Lord's table sometimes and sadly it is required if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace and harmony with everyone it's an acknowledgement that in our unity sometimes there are difficulties now again is this easy is living like this hard when people twist the truth or spout a half truth or maybe say something that's just patently false is loving your enemy what comes naturally? Or do we need an actual renewed mind? 
where we need this little bell to ring and go, nah, Draycott. Remember Romans. Remember you're meant to bless those who persecute you, not curse. Verse 14. To actually know Draycott. You're not meant to laugh at the demise of someone else. You're not meant to do that. I mean, you've ever heard the sarcastic line? <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nicer person? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. That is the opposite of what is being encouraged here. We are to rejoice when they rejoice. We are to mourn when, when they mourn. And the encouragement is to do our part. As far as it depends on you, don't be proud, don't be arrogant, don't be conceited. Be very careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Uh, I remember Bishop Peter Brain uh, saying, just because people do the wrong thing, the Christian always seeks to do the right thing. And I remember being a, a young assistant, and that was like a bolt of lightning for me. Sad reflection on me, but true nonetheless. Uh, when we get to verses 17 to 21, it continues to make clear that a Christian's personal standard is one of non-retaliation. There is no payback for the believer. In fact, not just no payback, you're actually meant to bless. You're meant to go further than being neutral and doing nothing. The believer is always to seek to do the right thing and seek to do the good thing even though others do the bad thing. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, what if I'm a soldier or a judge or a policeman? How does that work? Well, you bear the sword of justice. But on a personal level, you're going to be committed to non-retribution, uh, which thereby leaves room for God's wrath. That's verse 19. Vengeance is God's work. It's God's department. And... Trust me, he does not need any help. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 says that God will pay trouble to those who trouble you. Uh, now, don't that's not an invitation for being smug, but it is a reminder that vengeance and justice will come from the hand of God. What about verse 20? Uh, if your enemy's hungry, give him a feed. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. What on earth does that mean? Well, I think there are a couple of options. Some commentators think our response of kindness will bring the enemy to realize their behavior is shameful and so repentance can happen. That might be true. That, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um that's not the image that comes to my mind when hot coals are poured on someone's head, though. Some would say, no, no, that's right. It's the picture of God's judgment. It's a window of what's coming. Um, and so we, but then the picture then says, keep doing the right thing, knowing that God's day of reckoning is, um, is being accelerated. Um, now, that will give some believers pause and they might be reluctant. Uh, it's a possibility, I've got to say. I do wonder, as I consider this verse, if our kindness is just going to make the enemy mad. It's going to turn them into a, a hothead. They're already angry and now they're 
they're a, a real hothead. And let's face it, burning coals were used for cooking. Uh, and so maybe as we show kindness after kindness, uh, the Bible is being honest and says, well, if you, as you're kind, you're going to cook up somebody else's anger, cooking up a storm. And that's the risk of kindness. You're in a place to help, but in their pride, they're going to hate you for it. They're going to hate being in that position. And they're going to hate the fact that the, the helper is the one of whom they mean harm. But the scriptures are saying, do it anyway. Do it anyway, and the Lord will giveth recompense to thee. That's another translation which I think is helpful. So again, even though people do the wrong thing, Dracot, always do the right thing. Can I say, it's, a, it's such a wise truth, it is so easy to say, it's convenient to forget, such is our sinful nature, and harder still to do. We're not, not very good at this. Well, I'm not. And if it's true for me, it's probably going to be true for some of you. Now, if the end of chapter 12 is about engaging with the enemy, chapter 13 begins by engaging the government of the day. And so verse, verses 1 and 2 sound pretty straightforward, don't they? Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities uh, that exist have been established by God. In case you missed it the first time, he says it again. Consequently, verse 2, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, Aussies, are going to find, Aussies are going to find chapter 13 tough. Now, being an island penal colony is part of our history. And it's certainly not something that the first Australians asked for either. And so struggling with authority is part of our DNA. Politicians get on the TV. Do your emotions rise when you see particular politicians? I bet they do. Skepticism. We get cynical. We love parody. Oh, par Max Gillies, how, was, how good was he? He was great. But, but, but the trap for us is that we sit in the safety of our um, lounge rooms, unchallenged, in the armchair, and um, it's very easy. Armchair experts, I think that's called. True of sport, true of politics. The Apostle Paul, though, had every reason to be more negative than us. The Roman tax system was downright robbery. Believers, Christians, locked up, fed to lions. One emperor would douse Christians in bitumen and then light them up as an outdoor human candle as entertainment at his parties. Paul says the authorities are established by God, verse 1. Paul says, verse 2, they are instituted by him. So if you think you've got a bad, <laughs> stand in Paul's shoes for a moment. Verse 4 and 6, Paul says... They are God's servants. They're even agents of God's wrath, verse 4. And so the believer is to submit to the authorities, 
verse 1 and 5. We're to pay taxes, verse 6, pay your taxes. And verse 7, we are to give them the appropriate respect. All right, so even when, say, the Queensland Premier gets on the TV, Adam needs to dig deep into Romans 13, that little bell ringing of the renewed mind. It needs to go ding, 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 Dracot. And it reminds me that, that, that what is good for me and best for me, it's not anger and it's not frustration. It's not any of those negative emotions that arise lest I become conceited. No, that's not good for me. I actually got to turn the television off and walk away or change the channel. Paul's point here, and maybe you do too, Paul's point here and earlier is this is how we engage with those whom we disagree. That we're not to go the way of the natural self. We're not to fight back with thoughts or to fight back with words or to fight back with fists. We're to go the way of love. We're to go the way of service. We're to go the way of sacrifice, to change our minds, because this is our true and proper worship. Now, We'll come back to that in a minute. Why does Paul use the word submit instead of obey? Just a quick comment. I think the word submission conveys something voluntary. It's a bit softer, something that expresses mutuality here because the state has obligations and so do we. Um, unlike first century Rome, we live in a democracy. Every three to four years, we get to vote. How privileged. And if we're indifferent or if we choose to stick our heads in the sand... Can I say that you need to be careful that's not some kind of subtle rebellion against God. Submitting would look like voting, I would imagine. Voting in an informed, intelligent manner. You need to care. You need to seek the truth. We must assess candidates and parties based on our biblical convictions. Getting swept along by media hype or social media nonsense like those silly memes is not how we are to engage in the political arena, I don't think. Should Christians write to newspapers? Absolutely. Should we lobby for change? Absolutely. Should we lobby for good? Biblical outlook? Absolutely. But as we continue to reflect on our relationship to the government, let me just describe a couple of different reactions for us. And you can think about where you might fit. Some Christians choose to ignore the government. They think they're above it. I'm not of this world, so the government has no authority. God's, not, God's the boss, not them. And so the fruit of that kind of outlook means that during things like, mm, I don't know, COVID, Despite public health orders, some churches will still decide they know better and sing their hearts out when other churches are not. They're submitting. It's why some churches don't care about face masks despite public health orders because they, they think they know better. And knowing better is, well, where does that, that, that comes from the garden, doesn't it? The list could go on. 
And it's outright, I, I think it's rebellion and it's sinful and it's ungodly and it's inconsistent with Romans 13. Romans 13 says it doesn't wash. You're going to do your best to present yourself uh, in a way that's... Uh, you've got to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. you got to take care in how we conduct ourselves, in our witness as individuals, but also our public wit witness as a collective, as a church family. And so God is the boss. Absolutely. But God in his wisdom orders things by giving us government. Even bad government that serves him. And so we're called to submit whether you like that or not. Now, another reaction of Christians might be that instead of ignoring government, they become obsessed with government and they sniff out every single conspiracy theory under the sun. And the underlying idea seems to me is that the government is evil that they only want bad things for me, actually forget bad things. They're, they only want outrageously wicked things. And that's the nature of the conspiracy theory. And I want to just ask at that level, why are conspiracy theories easier to believe for some people? Why do they find that worldview easier than the alternative? Again, Romans 13, I don't see any room for it. It's not how believers are to engage with government, I don't think. We don't engage with government by silly, empty-headed memes on social media. Another reaction might be outright rebellion. To overthrow the government because it's an agent of evil. And of course, maybe you read Romans 13 and maybe you thought, oh, well, what about Nazi Germany? Indeed. What's a Christian to do? One commentator suggested that even one bad tyrant is better than none because no tyrant would mean lots of little tyrants all competing to be the top tyrant and that would be chaos. We should think at this point of examples from Scripture where believers disobeyed authorities outrightly. So in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and John are told by Jewish leaders to stop preaching. And what do they say to that? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll go with God rather than men, thanks. So they keep preaching the gospel. The gospel was the priority. When you flick to the book of Revelation... Well, that's not a, not, not a thing there either. Because the oppressive ruling government of the day, Rome, was, under their rule, we're seeing believers martyred, killed for their faith. And Rome, at one level, in the book, is portrayed metaphorically as a bloodthirsty beast. That's not all there is to it, but it is there. Uh, to the original audience, that's what they see, I believe. Now, so what does that mean? Well, it means that we need balance because you can't just rip out Romans 13 now. It's still there. And yes, we go, God trumps all, 100%. 
Yes, where the demands of government come into direct conflict with God, the God we serve, yes, God trumps all. Uh, the gospel is the priority, absolutely. But remember, it doesn't negate the call to live in harmony. It doesn't negate the call to live at peace with one another. Uh, or the encouragement to not overcome evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Or the truth that government, it is still true that government is part of God's good ordering of things, because that's what God is like. Genesis chapter 1. As we think about how the believer engages with government, we must consider what option Jesus took. It gets you thinking, this come up a few times during the week as we shared this passage, Matthew 22. Jesus recognises the state and God have claims on us. How do, what's, what's the story in that chapter? In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, Hey Jesus, do we pay tax to Caesar or do we not pay tax to Caesar? It's a trap. Jesus knows it. He holds the coin. Show it to me, play, mucks around with them a, a little bit, I think. Leaves them a bit on and then he says, well, whose image is on it? And they all go, well, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and what? Give to God what is God's. The coin is marked by Caesar's image. So give it back to him. That's the logic. Return to sender. But what is marked by God's image? If we're to give to God what is God, what well, what's marked with his image? And you know the answer. It's you. Do you bear God's image? Of course you do. And so this is the Lord Jesus, actually. He's making a claim upon you. You bear God's image. You belong to him. So return to him, if you like. Now, on the matter of government, Jesus is saying the government has a claim, absolutely. Is it limited? Yes, but it's a claim nonetheless. But God has a claim too. And it's more than your coin, it's your very life. So give yourself to him. Because resisting either the government or God, it's never going to go well for you. Cooperating, submitting is much better. And so this is how the believer engages in the world, even a hostile world. This is how the believer engages with government. Verse 2. And so we need to change our minds about these topics. We need to change our mind about how we engage in our world with government. This is God's will for us. This is God's true and proper worship. I don't know if you've been challenged about what you think true and proper worship is. Some people still think of worship as um, an intense, intimate experience of God that might be enjoyed during an extended time of praise where a, a worship leader, yeah, that's right, performs and helps people to do all that. Now, another form of that is the, the kind of church service where there are bells and smells. It's all the same, actually. It's all heavily based on experiential stuff. Romans chapter 12, though. True and proper worship is 24-7, giving yourself to the Lord. See true and proper worship here. See 
that it's costly. See that it touches every aspect of our life. See that it is the path of humility where we put others, even our enemies, even the government, before our own needs. We lay it all down in surrender of self, in service to Jesus and his people. Because this is what Jesus first did for us. Jesus loved his enemies. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us, remember. Jesus loved his enemies. And how does he go with the government? He submits to his enemies. He submits to the government of the day, even unto death. He lays it all down, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, what is true and proper worship? It's all here for us in Romans 12 onwards. It's to know that Jesus did this first. He loved his enemies. He submitted to the government of the day. He humbled himself and became nothing. Jesus shows us that he is the one true worshipper. And true and proper worship is to follow in his footsteps all to the glory of God. May we be encouraged to follow where Jesus first led the way. That God would be glorified. That we would worship him truly and properly. For this is God's will. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen. Death, they thought.
to the end of our time together online, I encourage you now uh, to uh, consider uh, sharing in a time of the Lord's Supper. If you have a blue card from St. Augustine's, uh, this is uh, just a very simple guide that helps you walk through uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, so I encourage you to do that and remember um, all that God has secured for us. Uh, in his son Jesus Christ, his love for us as you take the bread and drink of the wine. We give thanks to God for his son. Uh, enter into a time of prayer. Spend some time. Make a list of things that you're thankful for. There's much to be thankful for. Uh, and as you've read through this part of Romans, think about things that you can be asking God for help with. Pray about that. And of course, think of those um, around us, those near and dear to us who are sick, lonely, outcast, um, grieving. Uh, pray for them by all means, absolutely. Pray for our missionaries, for Andy and Margie in North Kagezi and uh, our, um, Gilbert and Ruth in Cambodia, our, our mission partners like BCA and Open Doors and Compassion. Uh, and commit it all to the Lord. Thanks for joining us. May God bless you and have a great week.